Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily and today we'll be speaking with Alan Stein. Now, Alan is a world-renowned basketball performance coach, corporate speaker, executive leadership coach, podcast host, and social media influencer. He has spent the past 15 years working with the highest performing basketball players on the planet, including NBA superstar Kevin Durant and the number one pick in the 2017 NBA draft, Markel Fultz. Allen now teaches organizations how to utilize the same strategies in business that elite basketball players and teams use to perform at a world-class level. He is passionate about developing genuine leadership, authentic team cohesion, and true mental toughness. He works relentlessly to educate and inspire people to take immediate action to improve their mindset, habits, happiness, and success. This is part two of a two-part interview. Now, Alan, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? Oh, wow. There's so many different ones. I'm a quote nerd. uh, (laughs) And I don't know that it necessarily speaks right to leadership, but it's certainly a mantra that I live by. And that's, if you do the things others don't do, you'll have the things others don't have. The reason I love that quote is you can also flip the words around and instead of using don't, Mm -hmm. you can use won't, which is usually more accurate. Do the things others won't do, and you'll have the things others won't have. And I remember when I first heard that quote and I was in my 20s, I immediately relegated that to material items, that if you do things other people don't do, you'll make a lot of money. You'll have a big house. You'll have a nice car. You'll have material items because that's where my semi-evolved brain was at the time. And now that I'm older, I realize that it's a lot broader than that, that If you do things other people don't do, you'll have fulfilling relationships. You'll have work that is meaningful and purposeful. You'll have an influence over other people's lives. You'll have a very high quality of life. The people in your inner circle, your family and your friends, you'll have a very deep emotional connection with them. And all of those things take work and they take sacrifice. So in order to have those types of things, you have to do things that most people don't do. And by nature, I'm an extremely positive and optimistic person. I try not to be cynical anytime I can, but it is my belief that a good portion of the human population has not found their purpose, does not do work that they feel is meaningful. Mm -hmm. They don't have very strong connected relationships, whether that's with their spouse or with their children. They haven't achieved things that they believe they're capable of. And I find that those are roadblocks. And really the reason of those roadblocks, there's nothing magical about it. The highest performers and the highest achievers and the happiest and most successful people on the planet, they stick to the basics and they stick to the basics consistently. And I find that most people do not do that, that we live in a world that wants us to skip steps, that wants us to circumvent the process, that wants us to chase what's hot and what's flashy and what's sexy and ignore Mm -hmm. what's basic. And the keys to all of these different things are very, very basic principles that you, me, or any one of your listeners are capable of doing. 
That's interesting because I know for me, I have to set my mind every single day. I'm typically optimistic, but there are times, there are days that are harder than others. And so I really guard myself by doing something every day that helps me. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? Well, I love the way that you frame that, and that's perfect. And sounds you're very intentional and purposeful. You know, a few things that I've learned, and to be quite transparent, I mean, I went through a couple of years of counseling and some therapy to help get me out of some of these emotional ruts and to improve my self-awareness. One thing I've learned is I embrace my full palette of emotions. While I am typically an extremely happy, energetic, upbeat, positive guy, mm-hmm. I'm not a robot. I have times where I'm sad. I have times where I'm disappointed. I have times where I'm frustrated. And I've learned that those emotions are just as important to the makeup of who I am as the positive ones. So I don't suppress them. I don't push them away. I allow myself and give myself permission to feel those things. And the best part is they usually pass pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to be frustrated and disappointed when something doesn't work out. Now, you don't want to live in that space forever because that will just create this circular effect that you'll slowly become much more negative and pessimistic, but it's okay to have those feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I do, uh, and this is a time audit, and this one's extremely valuable to one's quality of life. Is no, hold on a second. You said time audit? A time audit. And I do this <laughs> probably once a month. And here's all you need to do. Okay. On, take a piece of paper and fold it in half. And it can be lengthwise, widthwise, whatever. On one half, write down five or six things that truly make you happy, that give you fulfillment. I'm not talking about pleasure. I'm not saying eating a chocolate chip cookie. I'm talking about things that really give you fulfillment. Maybe it's talking to your mother on the phone, or maybe it's going out to coffee with a friend from high school, or maybe it's having 30 minutes and reading a book in the quiet, whatever it may Mm -hmm. be, write down the things that actually give you happiness and fulfillment. And then on the other half of the piece of paper, write down what you do every single day. I mean, literally from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, write down what you do. And then to complete the time audit, just compare the two lists. And then adjust accordingly. If you're spending the vast majority of your day not doing the things that really give you happiness and fulfillment, there's a disconnect there. There's a problem. I mean, I'm not a licensed psychologist, but I can pinpoint why you're not happy. You're not doing the things that make you happy. And I don't say that like we live in this fantasy world, this panacea where every day is roses and puppy dogs and ice cream. And from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you just do things that make you happy. No, nothing could be further from the truth. But if you really love sitting and reading a good book for 30 minutes, make the time to do that. If you get a lot of fulfillment from having a a weekly call with your mom or something like that, then make the time to do that. We all have more control over our time than we'd like to believe. I mean, I know that we're all busy. We have full plates. We juggle a lot of things and we wear a lot of hats. And there's probably not a person listening to this that if they could snap their fingers and have 28 hours in a day, they'd want to do that. And they feel like they could get everything done. But 24 hours is still a lot of time. And Mm -hmm. you and I have never met in person. We're just getting acquainted. But one thing I already know for sure, you get 24 hours in a day (laughs) and I I get 24 hours in a day. That unites all of us. And what you choose to do with your 24 hours and what I choose to do with my 24 hours will dictate our happiness and our success and our fulfillment moving forward. So we need to be very intentional about those things. And if you do that time audit and you make little subtle changes, you'll see a tremendous amount of change to your happiness and fulfillment. And I've always believed that when you're happier and you're fulfilled and you feel like you're doing meaningful work, then you start to become the best version of yourself. And the only way to be an effective leader to be an effective teacher or to be an effective coach 
is to be the best version of yourself possible. If I'm showing up to teach science today, it's in my best interest to be happier and more fulfilled. It's in my best interest to take care of my health and my emotional wellness, to get everything firing away so that I can pour into those students to the best of my ability. And the same would be true if I was leading a group in the military or if I'm coaching a basketball team. And, mm -hmm. and lots of times I think folks, they get it backwards. They think that when you carve out time for yourself to develop, to grow, and to be happy, that you're being selfish. And that is absolutely positively incorrect. In fact, it's selfless to pour into yourself because now you're becoming the best version possible. And when you do that, you'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. You'll be a better leader. So taking time to pour into your own development and your own happiness is essential to being the best version of yourself. And being the best version of yourself is essential to being the best leader that you're capable of. Right. And Al and I completely agree that you do need to pour into yourself for the purpose of serving other people. And that's extremely important, especially in the field of education, because we're constantly meeting needs. We're constantly serving. And what tends to happen is that we neglect ourselves. So yeah. I really appreciate this. Now, let me just kind of look at this time audit a little bit. Do you do this on a daily basis? I don't. I usually do it on a monthly basis, okay. uh, sometimes even on a quarterly basis. Really, I'm at a point now where I do it by need. If I ever find that my life's getting a little fuzzy and I need to refocus the lens, that's what I go back to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, now I've built these systems into my life that I do stuff every day that makes me happy. You know, I have a very full day today, but I carved out enough time to go grab a quick workout and then swing over to the local Whole Foods and get a smoothie and a healthy breakfast and sit and people watch. It's really nice outside today. Here in the <laughs> you DC people area. watch too. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I love that. and you know what? That 45 minutes helped me recharge my battery so right. that I could come and hopefully be the best version of myself for your listeners on this podcast today. Mm -hmm. So in essence, where it appears that I was doing something for myself as a servant leader, I was actually doing that for you and your audience. And right. you know, as you just mentioned so accurately, teachers spend their entire day filling other people's buckets and serving other people. And that gas tank is going to get empty. Right. And I know there's probably not a teacher listening that hasn't on some level experienced a little burnout at some mm -hmm. point. I mean, I know through coaching, I experienced it a few different times. And the best way to continue to fill other people's buckets is to be very intentional and purpose and fill your own. And that mind shift of making sure that people understand that is not selfish that is selfless. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll also say this about the audit. You could do one from a work standpoint as well. I don't necessarily know that this would work as well in the teaching vocation as it would in a corporate culture. But I talk to folks on the corporate level all the time and say, you're part of this organization, this company. What are the three things that you need to do to best fulfill your role for this company to be successful? And obviously, the three things that the CEO needs to do are going to be different than maybe a secretary. Everyone's three things are going to be different. But what are the three things that you personally need to do to make this team the best it's capable of? Not the things you want to do, not the things you feel like doing, not the things that are convenient, but what are the three things that everyone else in this organization needs you to do in order for this team to be successful? And that's what they write down on one side. And then I write down, okay, if you're in the office from nine to five every day, write down everything you do. And then we do the same time audit. If someone on a team is not spending 80 to 90% of their time focused and intentional on the three things that they need to do for the team to be successful, 
then they're not being as productive as possible. They're not being as efficient as possible. And I say this with love and grace and respect. They're actually being a selfish teammate. They're choosing to drain their time doing what they want to do instead of what the team needs them to do. And that's a problem. So you can do these time audits from a personal standpoint. You can do these time audits from a professional standpoint. You know, as kind of my own boss and a solopreneur, I have to do that check regularly because I have to make sure that I'm spending my time on revenue generating activities, that if I just spend my entire time doing stuff that's not actually leading to revenue as a private business owner, I'm going to be out of business. So I need to make sure that every single day I'm focused on doing something that will actually lead to some revenue for my business. And yeah, I find Mm -hmm. these audits are extremely helpful in getting the clarity that you need on what you should be doing every single day. Here's a quick message to help you start 2018 strong. I'm launching new mastermind groups in January 2018 that will help you grow your influence, whether you're an educator, administrator, or just hungry to grow. Take advantage of our early bird registration and sign up for a group that fits your schedule. Go to masterleadership.org and select So as a coach, do you find that it's important to have a coach speak into your life? Because even though we want to be the best version of ourselves, sometimes we don't see what that looks like. Oh, you're so accurate. A good friend of mine named Michael Burt, Coach Burt, he goes by. He was a former basketball coach and is now in the corporate world. And he's really been a great friend and mentor to me. He says, you can't see the picture when you're inside the frame. And that's exactly what you just said right there. So yes, Mm -hmm. everybody needs coaches. Everybody needs mentors and an inner circle. I have a couple of different coaches. I mean, I have a coach that helps me with my writing. I have a coach that helps me with my speaking. So the delivery side, I have a coach that helps me on the selling side, on being able to position what it is that I do and who that I want to do it for. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I have multiple coaches right now. And then I also have a good handful of trusted mentors. And Mm -hmm. one thing I think is extremely important from a mentor standpoint, at least for me, anytime I heard the word mentor, I always envisioned someone 20 or 30 years older than me that's sitting in their rocking chair telling me stories of when they were my age. And a mentor is anyone that has the expertise they can pour into you to make you better. So Mm -hmm. ironically, I have a couple of mentors that are 10 years younger than me because Mm -hmm. their level of expertise, even though they're younger than me, is higher than mine is in that specific area and they pour into me. Mm -hmm. And then outside of my mentors, then I also have a very tight inner circle of people that I truly trust and that I'm constantly asking them to tell me the things that I need to hear, not the things that I want to hear. I mean, I have very high confidence. I have very high self-worth. I have an appropriately strong ego. So I don't need people to tell me the things that I'm doing well. I need Mm -hmm. people to hold me accountable and keep me in check for the things that I don't. And to me, that's what a true friend and a true inner circle and a true coach person will do is to tell you the things that you need to hear not the things that you want to hear. And to find those people is tough. Mm -hmm. And I've always defined that as someone that cares. If you care enough about me and my happiness and my fulfillment and my success to tell me something right now that I know is going to be really hard for you to tell me and that because I'm a human being and not a robot, I might even get a little bit defensive about, that's what it's all about. That's true connection. But that requires vulnerability. Mm -hmm. That requires me having the humility to say, look, 
I don't have all of the answers, and I appreciate the folks that care enough to pour into me and to help me see things that I can't see for myself. Because as you just mentioned so perfectly, I can only see the world through my own lens. I mean, I'm walking around, the way I see things is the only way I see them, and everyone else will see them different and have a different perspective. And I really respect and appreciate the people that care enough to tell me those things. And it's hard to find those people Mm because most people... They consider that confrontation and, you know, they want to be overly positive and just tell you the good stuff. And while having positive, uplifting, supportive people in your life is very, very important, it's equally important to have people that tell you the truth. Right. And so it's exciting and it's really cool to learn that so many people are pouring into you. Now, this may be difficult to answer, but when you think of all the things that people have said to you, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is probably focus on your self-awareness. Get to know yourself really, really well. And again, on a superficial level, knowing the stuff you like, knowing the stuff you're good at is easy. That's what we all want to occupy our minds with. But really digging deeper and finding out and facing my fears, facing my insecurities, admitting the weaknesses and the challenges that I face – That's the hard part of self-awareness, but Mm -hmm. it's pivotal to your own growth and development. And then once you have that self-awareness, figure out exactly what it is that you do well, how you can serve other people best, and what you're good at. I mean, I believe everyone has kind of an innate talent that they're born with, and you need to mix that talent with purposeful practice to develop the skills necessary. And then where all of these things intersect, where you're good at, where you can best serve people, what you enjoy doing, wherever those lines intersect, that's your sweet spot. And that's what I believe is your purpose in the world. And that's the best advice. Find your purpose and follow and pour into your purpose. And that it's okay over time if your purpose will change because that will change with age. That will change when you get married. It'll change when you have kids. I mean, for a good portion of time, when I was younger, again, wasn't quite as mature or as involved, I thought my purpose was to help basketball players run faster and jump higher, which is a very narrow purpose. But in my 20s, that's what I thought it was. As I got older, I realized, whoa, Alan, basketball is just the platform. That's just the vehicle. Your purpose is to actually be a role model and pour into these young people, to give them life lessons that's going to make them better men and women when they grow up. Yeah, you're going to get them faster and stronger and help them enjoy basketball. That's cool, but that's just the window dressing. Your main purpose is to make sure these folks have improved character. They're better leaders. They're better sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. They're going to grow up and be contributing citizens to society. So that became my greater purpose. And now kind of in my third iteration, that's still my purpose, but I'm not limiting that just to the basketball world. Mm -hmm. I'm going to expand that to any group or organization, or company, or business that feels that they need that message. And when you do that, you'll find an increased sense of happiness, an increased sense of fulfillment, and all of this goes hand in hand with leadership. I believe firmly that the best investment any human being can make in themselves is into their leadership skills, because that will help them in every area of their life. I love that, you know, to focus on knowing yourself. To me, that is a lifelong journey, right? Because your heart is deep waters and there's so many things you can learn. But when we do that, then we lead ourselves well and then we can lead others well. So I really appreciate that. That's great advice. My pleasure. It's true. So, Alan, You've created teams and you know what it means to have a good team. So how do you build or sustain good teams? Again, from a basketball perspective, a team is so much more than a group of players all wearing the same jersey or a bunch of coaches all wearing the same polo. 
A team is when you find a group of committed people that care about each other and respect each other. And first and foremost, it's extremely important that people know that caring is a choice. Mm -hmm. Caring is an act of will that on an unconscious level, this might sound very counterintuitive. We actually don't have a tremendous amount of impact over who we like and who we don't like. A lot of that is intrinsic. And I'm sure you've been talking to someone for less than three minutes and you jive with them. You're like, you know what? I like this person. We have a lot in common. We have similar energy. And there's probably been some other people that you've talked to for three minutes and you, you know, that can turn you don't necessarily, you, yes. you don't, yeah, you don't necessarily dislike them, but when the conversation's over, you're not going to ask them to go get a glass of wine after, right. and that's okay. So we don't have a tremendous amount of influence over who we like, but we absolutely get to choose who we care about. And caring is a choice, and it's an act of will. And when you get a group of people that are willing to put their own personal agenda to the side, they're willing to fulfill their role, regardless of how small or big that role is, to do what's best for the collective group to achieve a shared vision or mission, and that they choose to care and respect somebody, even if they don't particularly like them, that's what a team is. And the leader that's helping assemble this team should view it very similar to a jigsaw puzzle, that if every piece was cut the same way, then you don't have a puzzle. You just have a stack of the same pieces. I need to see if your strengths and weaknesses match with my strengths and weaknesses. And then whatever is left uncovered between you and I, is there a third person that we can bring in and add value? It's about the team being as strong as possible, not necessarily any one individual being as strong as possible. And certainly if you use basketball as an example, I mean, you have great players. You've got a LeBron James who can do everything. You've got a Kevin Durant that can do everything. But the best teams are the ones that, again, like a jigsaw puzzle, they fit all of the different needs. If you have a basketball team and everyone's a great shooter, that's not going to be a very successful team because you need some great defenders. You need some great rebounders. You need folks that are unselfish enough to pass it to the shooters. You have to have a little bit of everything in order for the team to be successful. And that's really the key. And that mm-hmm. starts with the leader. As my friend John Gordon says, getting the right people on the bus and, right, and making right. sure that you know everyone that's on the bus is headed in the same direction and they're there to support each other. And once you've done that, then you can start talking about getting this group together. And I'm a firm believer that the first thing you need to do as the leader is get the group to decide what their identity is. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we going to make sacrifices for this? Why is this important? What is it that we're trying to achieve? How will we know when we get there? These questions, once answered by the group, not just by the leader and passed down, Mm -hmm. but literally answered by the group where everyone can contribute That's your identity. Once you've created your identity, then collectively you need to put standards in place that are going to uphold that identity. So not rules, not guidelines, but what standards do all of us need to live by and do all of us need to hold ourselves accountable to in order to live that identity that we have? And then Mm -hmm. the word culture, I believe, is how well you uphold those standards, that if you uphold those standards very, very well, you have a winning culture. If you don't, then you don't. You have a cancerous culture. So I know those words are thrown around a lot, but that's how I look at it. Uh, Mm -hmm. The leader needs to get everybody on the bus. Once everyone's on the bus, you need to decide what your identity is. Once you've decided that, everyone needs to agree on the standards needed to live out that identity. And then your culture is how well you do that. And when you're able to do that at a very high level, you can achieve some miraculous things, whether it's Mm -hmm. in business or it's on the basketball court. And as a leader of the team, you're trying to get a pulse as to where they're at, 
where they want to go. It's not just your agenda. Yes. Oh, you're so right. You nailed that. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. So I might add you to my team and think that this is the best position for you to play. And then over a couple of months, realize maybe you had a strength or a skill set that I wasn't aware that you had that would really benefit this team. Mm. So maybe I move you over and now your position or your lane is a little bit different. Mm. Or maybe I misevaluated the situation and I put you in a position where I accidentally set you up for failure because I put you in a position that does not utilize your strengths. It actually highlights your weaknesses. So that's not your fault. That's my fault as the leader. So as right. a leader, I've got to constantly shift and change. And, and I've always viewed leaders are kind of the conductor at the orchestra. You know, you're not playing all the different instruments, but you're making sure everyone else is playing their instrument at the right time when they need to, so that the end result is a beautiful piece of music. And that's really what the leader needs to do. And the leader needs to protect the identity and the standards and the culture. If they see some slippage, if they see that, you know, you and some of your teammates or coworkers are not living up to the standards that you agreed to, then it's the leader's job to hold them accountable. And if mm -hmm. we agreed that being prompt is extremely important to our culture and that that's one of our standards, and Lily, you show up to the last three meetings three minutes late, well, that's unacceptable. You're <laughs> starting to dilute our culture. So right. because I care about you and because I care about our team, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. And I'm going to say, Lily, you know, you've been late the last couple of times. Is there something I should know? What's the deal? And, and I think a good leader will always lead with empathy. It's not going to do me any good to scream at you or jump down your throat or assume that you're being late because you're lazy. Right. There might be something going on in your life. And a good leader, if I lead with empathy, I'm going to come over and put my hand on your shoulder and say, Lily, you've been late for the third time. Is there something going on in yes. your life that I should know about? Is there a reason for that? And then you're either going to let me in and say, yes, you know, my dog's been really, really sick. It's just been a nightmare. I'm really sorry. I'll try not to be late again. Well, right. that's very understandable. It doesn't excuse being late, but it lets me into your world and lets me know that. Or yes. you might just say, you know what, Alan? No, there's no excuse. I was late. It's 100% my fault. It won't happen again. Either way, I was able to confront your behavior and not confront you as a person. So it wasn't a personal attack. It was the fact that you were three minutes late that I'm holding you accountable for. So it has nothing to do with whether or not I like you or care about you. It has to do with the fact that we all agreed to be on time and now you've shown up late. And because I care about you and I care about the culture of this program or this business or this organization, I'm going to hold you accountable. And I would only hope that you would do the same thing for me. And when you can create that collective trust and caring and accountability, now you've got something really, really special. You know, Alan, you pulled me into that story and I'm really sorry I was yeah, late. It's okay, but listen, I'm sure you had something going on and, <laughs> and it won't happen again. What I love <laughs> is that not only were you compassionate and you put your arm around me, but you asked really good questions. You didn't assume. That's incredibly important as a leader. So thank you for that advice. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Mm. I face challenges all the time. I'll go with the most recent one. I mean, the most recent one is as I make this transition from the basketball world where I very thankfully built up a good reputation. I had some credibility in the space and now I'm entering a space where I'm completely unknown. As I mentioned with full transparency, I mean, I've never even had a corporate job. So it's my job to go into these businesses and to prove to them that the principles of achievement on the court are identical to the principles of achievement in business and to mm -hmm. show them that the concepts and strategies that have been used on the teams that I've been a part of will work in their business. Now, from a tactical side, 
I mean, it's completely different. And that's why I don't teach businesses how to sell. I don't teach them how to negotiate. I don't step out of my position or out of my lane. I teach them how every person in the organization can improve their genuine leadership, how they can improve their team cohesion, which is a good portion of what I just shared with you, and how that will result in a winning culture. And if they take that as the foundation and they apply that to their own business strategies and philosophies and methodologies, then they'll be on their way to being as successful as possible. But this is a new but exciting challenge for me as I enter a new space where I don't have any brand recognition and I have to kind of educate certain folks on the fact that, trust me, this stuff will work. But it's a challenge that I'm embracing, I'm enjoying, and I'm excited to have. Uh, challenges are really what keep us going. They're what right. keep us motivated and keep us feeling alive. Without challenges, uh, yeah, we'd all on some level kind of be dead inside. And and it's the challenges that make the victories so much sweeter. And, mm. you know, I mean, it's going to take me a little while to get this new aspect of my business really up and rolling where I'm serving people. But once it does, it'll be well worth all of the work that was put into it. I've learned to embrace challenges as opposed to hide from them. Mm. And so you shifted from the basketball world into the corporate world. What motivated you to shift? I was ready for a change. I've been pouring into players and coaches for about 15 years, and I'll always want to continue to do that. As I mentioned, as a former player and as a young person myself, I have a lot of compassion and empathy and, and heart towards players. And just like teachers, I'll always consider coaches some of the most altruistic people on the planet. And I want to always serve them and pour into them. But to be quite honest, talking to coaches and players about basketball performance and about how to run faster and jump higher I don't want to be over dramatic and say I was burnt out, but I definitely was not loving it as much as I was, say, three or four years ago. Okay. So and you I've were ready always, to grow. You were ready to. I was to ready to just pivot. Yeah, mm -hmm. do something different. And I've always believed as a teacher or as a coach, you owe it to the people you're serving to be all in, to be 100 percent in and passionate and you can't mail it in. And I started getting to the point where. I wasn't looking forward to going to speaking at a coaching clinic or I wasn't looking forward to going and doing a workout. And because I have such high self-awareness now, that alarm went off and was like, hey, Alan, this isn't right. You know, you used to love doing this stuff. Somehow you've lost the love. So you either A, need to get it back or B, need to shift your aim to something else. And I chose B. I chose to take these tenets of leadership and teamwork and culture and aim them at a new audience. And that's really all I've needed to do. I feel so invigorated now. I feel so energized. I feel great that I'm still in a service-based business where I can be a servant leader and pour into other people and help them grow and develop their lives and their businesses. It's just a different audience. And mm -hmm. for me, I just realized it was that time. And mm -hmm. at some point, could be three years, five years, 20 years, if I start to feel the same way about this path I'm on, then I'll simply pivot again. So that was why mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier that your purpose may change. I mean, right. I really believe that my foundational purpose is to pour into other people, to empower, to inspire, to educate them in a variety of different ways. But that exact audience or my exact way of doing that, I mean, that could change three or four more times mm -hmm. before my time on this earth is done. And now I'm in a vocation where I can be all in. I mean, mm -hmm. I wake up excited to pour into this new aspect of my business. And I also want to make it very clear in case there are some coaches listening. It was nothing on the player or coach side that caused this feeling. After 15 years of giving the basketball community my heart and soul, I was just ready for a change. So that was all on me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was ready to do something different and thankfully the stars aligned and, and I was able to make that transition, you know, fairly seamlessly. Love the fact that you're so self-aware 
and those are really great qualities in a leader because once you realize that you didn't waste time you decided okay this is not where i'm going to be the most effective and quite frankly if we stay stuck in that place we're not doing ourselves any good and we're not doing those we serve any good we need to leave that space for someone else so i love how you were so self-aware that you moved on to something different and it's also a push to grow and being self-aware is something that can help us grow i appreciate how you're facing a lot of situations that are challenging, but you move on, you move forward. And so thank you. You summarized that perfectly. Thank you. Okay. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? Greatest success. Uh, I'm one of those guys that I believe you need to celebrate your wins. You need to acknowledge when you do something well, or you do have a success. I think in today's day and age, People are so quick to move on and ask what's next or, okay, I accomplished this, but that's not good enough. Move on to something else. (laughs) I do that. (laughs) We all do. We don't want to get complacent. And yes, if you had a good success today, you know, you need to start tomorrow fresh. You can't live off of yesterday's success. But at the same time, it's extremely important to celebrate the wins and acknowledge a job well done. Because on some level, you'll also recondition your mind and program yourself to do more of that. You know, Mm -hmm. an adage that we all use as teachers and coaches is that which gets praised gets repeated. Mm -hmm. Well, we got to make sure we do that to ourselves. You got to praise yourself every now and then when you do a good job. And then unconsciously, you'll start to repeat that. I'm really thankful and proud that I signed a book deal a couple of weeks ago. I can't say who it's with because the deal memo is not in place, mm-hmm. uh, but it's actually with well, one congratulations. of the five publishers. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm a first-time author. I've actually hired a co-author to help me with the process, a, a guy that is unbelievable teammate in helping me get this done. But I'm excited about that. And I've known that I've had a book in me for a long time. And it's finally getting to the point where it's going to be put on paper. And my agent and my co-author are great teammates. We're so excited to have this deal in place. And it'll take about a year for the book to actually hit the stands. I mean, we've got a lot of work to do, but I'm excited for that. And, and I consider that a success. And uh, awesome. just like I'm telling you guys, when I got the word that the book was being picked up, I celebrated that night. I felt great about it. And then I woke up the next morning and said, okay, I can't live off of that. Now we actually got to put a book <laughs> together. So move on. But I did take the time to acknowledge and appreciate and praise myself for something that I was proud of. And again, like we talked about earlier, where Some people think that if you carve time for yourself, you're being selfish when you're actually being selfless. Same thing. Praising yourself for doing a job well done does not mean you lack humility. It Mm -hmm. means you acknowledge and you're proud of something that you did. And that helps with your confidence and your self-worth. Again, you don't rest on it. You certainly don't gloat about it. You just move on to the next thing. But it's, it's extremely important, you know, as they say, to stop and smell the roses. And I've had to be very intentional at getting better at that because I used to not do that. It was like, okay, I got a book deal. Now what's next? You can't do that. You've got to acknowledge a job well done in yourself because I'm sure as a leader, you're doing that for others. I'm sure that when you see someone do a good job at something, you're intentional in telling them. And I'm just saying every once in a while, it's okay to look in the mirror and tell yourself, hey, Alan, you did a good job on that, buddy. Way to go. So Alan, if our listeners wanted to learn more about it or learn more about you, what's the best way to contact you? My website currently is allensteinjr.com, and that'll also link you up to all the social handles. Right now, that's just kind of my placeholder. I'm working on finalizing an actual brand that will be for the book. I will have a podcast coming out 
and I'll have my workshops and my keynotes and all that will all be under one umbrella. And I don't want that umbrella to be my name. I just have that currently as kind of a placeholder while I get some other things in place. But yeah, anyone that goes to allensteinjr.com can see anything and everything that I have going on. And certainly when that new brand is in place, we'll make sure folks are redirected there. And really the book at present, kind of what I've learned in the past 20 years of what the best of the best do during unseen hours. My good friend and business partner in basketball, Drew Hanlon, uh, who's one of my mentors, even though he's 15 years younger, coined that term unseen hours. And I love that. And I've Mm. stolen that from him. And it's really our success is determined by the things we do when no one else is watching. It's the things we do every single day behind closed doors that determine whether or not we're successful. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career to have been able to observe and be around basketball's best players and best coaches. And I've taken some diligent notes on what those guys do to be the best of the best. And that will be kind of the foundational level, but it will dive deep into leadership, teamwork, culture, all of the things that you and I have been chatting about today. I mean, certainly I'm pouring into the book myself, but I'm also taking a lot of pride in being a curator, not just a creator. And I've lined up some really powerful interviews with some of basketball's best players and coaches, but more importantly, some of businesses, most successful leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners. And I'm going to interview them and get their take on it. So uh, funny enough, even though I've spent my life in the basketball world, this is actually more of a business book. And this is not teaching people how to sell, not teaching people how to negotiate or any of those things. It's teaching people to take these basic principles so that they can become the best versions of themselves possible. And once they do that, then they're going to be the best person in business, best person in relationships, best person in sport, whatever it is that they want to do. So I'm really excited about the project. I do have a lot of work to do. I'm excited to interview these brilliant minds selfishly so I can learn something new. <laughs> uh, but, but more importantly, I'm taking pride in being the curator so that I can share this with the rest of the world. And you know, some of the folks that I'm going after – they're not readily accessible to everybody else. So the fact that I believe that I can have access to them and then share their brilliance and knowledge with everyone else is where I think the book will have a lot of value. So it's going to be my journey and my experience, my observations, and certainly poured into by people that are unbelievably successful and happy in what they do. So it's going to be fun. And I'll certainly keep updates on social media and on my website. So if folks want to follow along, that would be terrific. Well, it sounds like a powerful leadership book. So will you please reach out to us again when it comes out? Absolutely. I'd be honored to. Great. So Alan, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? My good friend and mentor is a gentleman named Kevin Eastman, who was a college basketball coach, an NBA basketball coach. I mean, he's done so many things. And and he said he always believes, and I've stolen this from him, that you go through life with big ears, big eyes, and a small mouth. So keep your eyes open and your ears open to find anything and everything that you can learn from and that you don't really learn anything when you're talking. When you're talking, you're sharing what you've already learned. But if you're trying to grow – That comes through observation, that comes through reading, from watching, from doing, and that's really important. So for me, I try to keep my eyes and ears open to everything, and I try to learn from every situation. And one thing I've really appreciated as I become older is learning what you don't like and learning what not to do are just as valuable. So if you take a teacher, and if they were to go observe another class, 
it's really going to be black and white. They're either going to observe something that reinforces what they're already doing and makes them feel well. They're going to observe something that is a great idea or a great concept or a great teaching point or lesson, and they're going to steal that and borrow that and use that. Or they're going to observe something and go, you know what? I don't like the way they did that. I'm definitely never going to do it that way. But no matter what, it's a win-win-win. You leave there either reaffirming what you do well, learning something new, or learning what not to do. So you can learn from any situation if you have that mindset. And, and I try to do that, you know, whether I'm reading a book or watching a video, I don't even care if I agree with the vantage point of the author or the speaker, I'm going to learn something new from it. And mm. I've also learned that for myself to not confine my craft to being singular, that as a leader, you know, I need to improve my writing skills, my speaking skills, my communication skills. I need to improve my own emotional health and wellness. I need to improve my physical health. There's so many different things that I need to be able to subject myself to, to make the whole part and to make the whole person the best that I can be. And mm -hmm. so I'm open to all of that. And I'll go on different kicks. You know, when I first got into doing the corporate speaking, I was devouring every book and video and course on being a public speaker. So I was in that space for like six to eight weeks. And then I decided that I wanted to learn more about meditation, that I thought that could help me with sleeping better and having better peace of mind. So then I read and watched everything I could on meditation. So for me, I kind of go in cycles and I usually have a theme either for the week or for the month of whatever it is that I'm trying to learn from. But I do keep, as Kevin Eastman said, I keep my eyes and ears wide open. Now, you mentioned reading a lot. Yes. What have you read that our listeners should read and why? Oh, wow. There's so many different books. Uh, first of all, John Gordon is a really good friend of mine and someone that's poured into me as a mentor. And anything he's written is solid mm -hmm. gold. I mean, he's had so many different books out, like The Energy Bus. So he's brilliant. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, you've got your go-tos. I mean, you mentioned John C. Maxwell, who's obviously brilliant. But I'm a diehard Coach K fan. And Coach K, the head coach for Duke men's basketball, has written several books, one of which called Leading with the Heart, I think is the best book ever written on leadership. Now, I say that knowing that I'm fully biased because I'm a diehard Coach K fan and a diehard Duke fan. I don't say that to diminish anyone else's books. I mean, that book is as good as it gets uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to leadership. So mm -hmm. hopefully those are just kind of some starts. I do know that if folks follow me on social media, anytime I'm reading something, I do my best to take a picture of the cover and post it and even give a quick synopsis if it's something that I recommend. So Great. I'm constantly trying to read. And you know, what's funny is like many of your listeners probably, I mean, I devour podcasts. I mm -hmm. love podcasts. So, mm -hmm. you know, reading is one way to get information. And I think it's a great way to keep our minds sharp. But if someone doesn't love reading or has trouble making the time to read, an educational podcast like this is just as valuable. So, you mm -hmm. know, obviously if you've got an hour commute to work every day, you can't really read in the car if you're the one driving, but right. you can certainly devour a podcast. So turn off whatever's not really adding value to your life and plug into a podcast. You'll make that hour trip to and fro work every day, a mini classroom and course, and we can pick up so much great information. And same thing, anytime I can that I listen to a new podcast, I make sure that I post it on social media so that other folks will pick it up as well. Beautifully said. Now, Alan, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Mm, about leadership... And in full transparency, I really didn't develop this level of self-awareness until I was going through a divorce and I went through some counseling and some therapy a few years ago. And it mm -hmm. was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, my ex-wife and I 
are very amicable. We're actually better friends now than when we were married. We make great co-parents to our three children. So I'm very, very thankful for that. But Mm -hmm. that type of internal work that I had to do was really challenging and tough, but it was the best thing I ever did. And although the younger, hard-headed, know-it-all Alan might not have listened, (laughs) I wish if I could go back, I would have almost forced myself to do that deeper dive when I was younger. And when I was in my Mm -hmm. early 20s, if I could have developed the sense of self and self-awareness that I have now, it certainly would have been very beneficial. I'm not a guy that lives with regret. So uh, I don't regret getting married, even though it ended in divorce, because it produced the best things in my life. It produced my three children, who I'm very thankful to have. And it produced me going to counseling and getting the therapy that I need to develop self-awareness. So at face value, someone could say, wow, you got divorced. That sucks. No way, man. Divorce is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I say that very respectfully to my ex-wife because it led me down this path. And it would have been neat if something else would have led me down that path, maybe in my late teens or my early 20s. I do think there's a stigma attached with people that go see a therapist or a counselor, especially for males. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a lot of males like, dude, what are you going to go in there and talk about your feelings? Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do because that's going to help me become a better man. And when I become a better man, I'm going to be a better leader. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better everything of my life. And I would love to see that that stigma slowly goes away. See, most people view therapy as what you do when you've already hit rock bottom. Well, what about being proactive and going and getting some counseling before the problems arise? You know, I mean, it's kind of like injury prevention and reduction in sport. Yeah, you can wait until you twist your ankle to go see the athletic trainer, or you can do exercises every day that make your ankle stronger. So the chance of that happening has been greatly decreased. And to me, that's the big thing that I would hope I would have been able to embrace when I was younger was go in and get some professional help to talk about your feelings, figure out who you are figure out what your purpose is going to be because it'll really serve you better, you know, later on in life. I love that. And I really appreciate your vulnerability here. You know, a wise person will learn from their experiences, but a wiser person will learn from the experiences of others. So right on. So I appreciate that. And I think you're spot on. And sometimes we're so hard-headed that it takes really tough things like this to get us to a place where we start to listen. So, For sure. Yeah. So, Alan, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't discussed already? I'm very thankful to kind of be in the family. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And if there's anything I can do to serve you or any of your listeners It'd be my honor to do it. You know, I mentioned the website and the social handles. If anybody wants to hit me up, if they've got a question, I'm very good about getting back to folks on email. I mean, whatever I can do to continue to serve, it'd be my honor to do it. If anybody listening knows of a group that my message might resonate with them, you know, at this point early in my career, referrals are the lifeblood of my business. If they think I could serve a group or if they have a group that I could come talk to, I would love to do it. And let's make sure we stay in close touch. I'll continue to be an avid listener of your show. And you better believe as soon as the book's going to come out, I'll, I'll be hitting you back up. Yes, perfect. Alan, welcome to the family. Awesome. Thank and you so I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. My pleasure. Okay, have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.